0: This morning we're going to be in the book of Colossians, if you want to turn there. We have the um, outline in the inside of the bulletin, a very basic, straightforward book. If we take a look at the outline, it's doctrinal, polemical, spiritual, and practical. So as we go through the um, four chapters in Colossians this morning, we're doing a, a synthetic study. We're keeping up with that series of the epistles of Paul. We're doing a synthetic overview of each of the epistles. And this morning we're in Colossians. Just a little bit of background on the book um, in starting out here. It's a prison epistle. So we've gone over several of these already, Ephesians and Philippians. Now we're in Colossians. Written in about 60 to 61 A.D. while Paul was imprisoned in Rome. Now this is an interesting thing here. The church of Colossae was not founded by Paul. So that's kind of interesting. Most of the letters we read, he's writing to churches that he previously had put together. This one isn't. If we th- um we won't look too much into this now but in verse 7 of chapter 1 Epaphras had apparently been the preacher who brought the Christian gospel to the city. So what we're seeing as Paul wasn't able to preach to each city, so he sent trusted fellow workers to proclaim the gospel. And what he's doing is he's hearing about what's going on there. Even though he didn't establish the church in Colossae, he's writing a letter to them. And this morning what we're going to take a look at in the book of Colossians is as we've been going through each one of these epistles, they have a purpose. They have an intended meaning as to why Paul wrote what he wrote. Romans was very theological, very structured. The foundation of Christian theology is the book of Romans. First and Second Corinthians, as we went through that, we realized that it was a behavioral epistle, both of them. The Church of Corinth, we compared to Las Vegas, so a lot of vices for people to get their hands on. That was what their issues were, so it's a lot of behavioral issues in, in Corinthians. Galatians was doctrinal. Salvation based upon grace plus faith plus the Judaizers who came in and said circumcision was also necessary. So Galatians had a doctrinal emphasis on grace by faith alone. Ephesians and Philippians, the past two weeks as we took a look at those epistles, were very pastoral, very exhortation, very um, uplifting, and focusing on future rewards. So this morning in Colossians, it's a doctrinal book yet again. A lot of times we have epistles that are geared towards Christian living, and a lot of times we have books, chapters, and verses that are based upon doctrine. And with doctrine comes detail, because if something appears to be 90% correct, individuals, people kind of say, okay, everything's good, but that 10%, which we fail to look at, the details, the fine print, is where a lot of heretical errors, a lot of false doctrine comes in. So in the book of Colossians, what we're going to see here, Paul is putting the emphasis on the supremacy of Christ, of Jesus. And we all say, great, yeah, that's excellent. But what we're seeing here is in Colossians, he's dealing with a false sense of who Jesus is. There's other Jesuses out there. And what he's dealing with is the Jesus of mysticism or the Jesus of Jewish mysticism or what became known as Gnosticism in the second century. What they were teaching is in order for one to be spiritually mature, it was necessary to follow their practices, their religion, their structure. And they broke away from biblical Christianity, reinterpreted what the Bible says in their own specific doctrine. So we're we're going to be dealing with Gnosticism, Jewish mysticism. Today we see it as Hinduism, we see it in Buddhism, we see it in the New Age movement. Jesus is mentioned, scriptures are quoted, but the definitions, the terminology, and what they mean by those verses is completely different than the biblical Jesus. Their speech may have been spoken of Jesus in high regard, but here's what they say. In the end, they saw Jesus as a created being, meaning he was less than God. So this morning, the emphasis is on what is systematically, systematic theology calls Christology the study of Christ the biblical Jesus. So Paul gives some details here in Colossians chapter 2 I just I'll read these to you quick. hollow and deceptive philosophy meaning there's form to it there's an appeal to it but there's no substance once you get down to the meat and potatoes there's there's really no substance to answer the big questions of life. It's according to human traditions things that have been passed down from generation to generation Based upon the Greek aspect of wisdom and knowledge. So the Greeks were really big into philosophy. Plato, Aristotle, Socrates. Philosophy was the core foundation of the Greek culture. So we're seeing that this Gnosticism or this mysticism that we're going to be seeing here in Colossians, very steeped into philosophy, specifically Plato and idealism. Ascetism. Harsh treatment of the body, denying oneself but in a legalistic sense. And here's the main point. Here's going to be the big one this morning. Elemental spirits, verse, chapter, uh, chapter 2, verse 8 and 20, would mean that the false teaching found in a place for the worship of spirits. So what this means is this religion that Paul is going to be um, attacking this morning is based upon paganism and is based upon false spirits and false worship of false spirits. In the Greek, they're known as stoicheon, And stoicheon are transcendent powers that are in control Over events in this world, elemental spirits. So that's pretty spooky when you actually sit down and realize the reality of false spirits teaching false gospel to human beings and then passing it on in writing. We'll get into more of this in a little bit. All of these false teachings resulted in a false theology about Jesus. So the interesting thing and the scary thing about what we're going to be going over this morning is it's been around for almost 2,000 years and it has deceived millions and millions of Christians. Why has it deceived and how has it deceived is because they use our terminology. They use our words. They use our Bible. But they completely reinterpret what the meaning of those words are and what the theological impact of those words are, and they create their own religion from it. So definitions. Foundations are key to addressing these issues. Not only must Christ occupy the central place in our lives, remember last week we took at Philippians, that Jesus has to be in the center of our hearts. If we replace him with something else, that's an idol. Jesus is supposed to be right at the center of our hearts. Not only must he be there, but our understanding has to be accurate on who he is. False teachings come in, they distort the reality of who Jesus is. Foundation loses its proper place. We start to believe in a false theology. So this is what Paul is dealing with this morning. So just to give a little foundation of the background of this false cult. Similar false teachings for today. We're in a culture that's very relative. We're in a culture that says what's true for you is true for you. What's true for me is true for me. Even though your truth and my truth may intersect, we're both right. That's our culture today. That has carried over into religion. All faiths, according to pluralism, or if you've heard of universalism, all faiths teach good moral values one faith cannot be elevated above another. What one person holds as their faith is true for them. And whatever you want to hold as true is true for you. It is intolerant to believe that there is one superior faith. This is the culture that we live in today. And if we are going to address these issues head on from a biblical perspective, we better be ready for some resistance, some backlash. The culture does not want to hear they're wrong. People do not want to hear that they have a false faith or a false Jesus. But if we're going to represent Jesus accurately, like we are commanded to do, then we have to take these steps. We have to take this time to sit and to study the proper Christology on who Jesus is, what he has done, and then share that with the world in spite of how the culture is going to react. So just a fundamental basis here of... Pilate asked this to Jesus, what is truth? And a good definition of truth is that which corresponds to reality, or what is. It's not something that has to be forced. It's something that simply relates to reality, or simply relates to the facts. So now in Colossians chapter 1, look at verse 5. Paul's going to start right out here in Colossians and lay the foundation of what truth is. And in verse 5 it says, Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven... Of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, just as in all the world, also it constantly bearing fruit and increasing, even as it has been doing in you also since the day you heard of it, understood the grace of God in truth. So, what Paul is saying here is the word, the Bible, the gospel is truth. The Bible is what corresponds to reality. Right from the start, Paul is laying down the foundation of what he is about to discuss. The true biblical Jesus as opposed to the false unbiblical Jesus. Now the nature of truth, truth, something has to be affirmed or denied in order for there to be meaning in truth. If truth is true, like for instance, I have a pen. This isn't a pencil, it's not a marker, it's not a crayon. It's not anything else but a pen. So when an individual makes a truth statement, he's excluding all other options and saying this is the only option. And today in this culture, they do not want to hear that because it convicts them. People are very emotionally based. They don't want to be told right from wrong. So a statement is meaningful only if it is either true or false. And it is true and false only if it affirms or denies something. So like the um, phrase I always like to use is, there's no such thing as a little bit pregnant. Either you're pregnant or you're not. There's no, no in-between there. Either you are, you're one or the other. So given this definition of truth, can pluralism or universalism, what a person chooses to believe is true for them, can that be true? No, because it contradicts itself. If you have contradiction, either one is right one is wrong, or they're both wrong, but they both can't be right. And today, in our culture, we're trying to play this game of it's okay what you believe, it's okay what you believe as long as we're happy, as long as we get along. Remember what Jesus said about this. He didn't come to bring this kind of peace, but a sword, division. Either you're with him or you're not. The true biblical Jesus. That's why he says in John fourteen six, I am the way, the truth, and the light. Nobody comes to the Father but through me. Very direct statement might be seen as ignorant or narrow-minded or bigoted, but it is what Jesus said. And if Jesus is who he says he is, then every other thing is false. Jesus is true. So here we see this, what Paul is refuting in the book of Colossians. Now let's get into this Jewish mysticism here. A form of Jewish mysticism similar to Gnosticism. So what we're seeing here, this is what is known as a knowledge cult. Meaning, One has to attain a secret knowledge in order to be saved. Here's what they teach, and I'll read this through two times because every time I study Gnosticism, I have to read it over and over. It's just so strange to me how people buy into this. It's one of those things that just doesn't stick. It's just strange, but I'll read this to you. Everything began in perfect spiritual form. So everything began in spirit and everything began perfect. Now notice this isn't the biblical God completely opposite. So everything began in spiritual form, then de evolved into matter. More evolved into matter means more evil it becomes because all matter is evil. Spirit is good, matter is evil. So, as spirit began and everything began in perfect spiritual form, as it began to de evolve, it de evolved into material. Man's body is evil. His soul is evil, but his spirit is not evil because it does not belong to this world. It came from the spirit world of being perfect. The spirit is part of the original divine substance from the beginning. So if you ever have read any of the Hindu Vedas or the Bhagavad Gita, what one is trying to do is rid themselves of this material body and be absorbed back into the world soul, which they call Brahma Nirvana. So they're trying to get out of their material bodies. So again, everything began in spirit form, de-evolved into matter. All matter is evil. Man's body is evil. Man's soul is evil. But his spirit is not evil because it came from the divine source. So what salvation is then, according to Gnosticism and according to the occult, Hinduism, Buddhism, the New Age, all of these are pretty much the same thing with different terminologies, is that they're trying to rid themselves of their body and get into the world's soul. The Christ of Gnosticism now. This is what the Gnostics taught about Jesus. Since matter is evil, it is necessary that a messenger... Jesus, be sent from the transcendent spiritual world to teach humanity how to liberate themselves from material form. So when we read the Bible, the Bible's been corrupted. The Bible's wrong. Jesus didn't come, die on the cross, that, that, no. What Jesus came to do was to teach us how to do what he has done. And many people have done what Jesus has done. You and I can do what Jesus has done. And all he taught us to do was the correct path of realizing that the divine spirit within us. We're all divine. And then if we tap into that source, we too can become back into our spiritual um, form and become divine just like Jesus. So this messenger is Jesus. Now, in order for Jesus to be who the Gnostics claim he was, he can't be human. He can only be spirit. So when Jesus was on earth, he wasn't the God-man. He was just spirit. Now the question why is that heretical in Christian doctrine? Taking away the humanity of Jesus and saying he was just a spirit. What does that do for the gospel? How does that corrupt the gospel if Jesus was not a man? It goes back to the substitutionary atonement. In order to redeem us as humans, he had to be 100% human. You take away his humanity, there's no redemption. There's no gospel. And that's where the problem lies. Christ gave non-written teachings. We have the written teachings in the word. First they were oral, then they were written down. Jesus gave secret non-written teachings to certain followers, and they have been preserved for the past 2,000 years in secret societies or underground occult or Rosicrucian archives or whatever you want to call it. These secret teachings that will liberate you from your material body have been kept for the past 2,000 years. As opposed to the Bible, has Christianity ever been an exclusive in-club? No, we bring the Bible, the gospel, to the entire world. We tell everybody we preach it wherever we go. Gideon Bible in every hotel. The Christianity is an open religion. We're open about everything. But Gnosticism is very secret, very closed to the elite. So if you want to get in the in crowd, you have to be elite to get this secret knowledge. Other heresies in the first century. If Jesus is only human and not God, it affects redemption because God's blood needed to be Atoning for our sins. Jesus was only a spirit, not a man. We're seeing this in Gnosticism. No humanity, no redemption. How about this one? Jesus' body and soul were human, but his spirit was divine. So you only have half a God and half a man. Again, redemption, because God had to, Jesus had to be 100% man and 100% God. Not half and half. There would be no redemption then. Jesus had a human and divine nature, but they mixed to form one nature. What's wrong with that heresy? Because if God is immutable and God cannot change and his humanity mixes with his deity, now you have a change in the deity of Christ. Heretical. These are very um, detailed um, heresies that for the first five centuries of the Christian church, if you read the early Christian fathers and the early church fathers and the apologists and you read these guys, A lot of people were struggling with these. We have to remember during this time, we all didn't have the Bible sitting in our laps just like this. You may have had one or two of Paul's epistles or a couple of writings here, but it wasn't a collective volume, so it wasn't like everybody had all of the options to sit and read these things. So deception came in. It was easier to get confused over these issues. So Christology is the core of the gospel. If anyone, if his deity or his humanity are compromised in any way, what we have to realize is that there is no gospel. So, this in mind, go to verse 15 of chapter 1. This Gnostic or mystic cult, having this foundation and having this background, we can understand and appreciate now why Paul is writing what he's writing. In Colossians 1:15 through 20, is an excellent theological section, like last week in Philippians chapter 2, 5 through 11, which is known as the Carmen Christi, or Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Paul puts these... Um, These were formerly hymns, I guess, sung by the church. Paul writes these in his Gospels, just jam-packed with excellent theology. We'll read through it and then go back through it. Verse 15, speaking of Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones, dominions, rulers, or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is also head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him, and through him to reconcile all things to himself. Having made peace through the blood of his cross, through him I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. Excellent Christological passage, verses 15 through 20. Let's go back to fifth, verse 15 and look at this. He is the image of the invisible God. What does that mean? Image, the visible representation of the invisible God. So if you want to know who God is, his characteristics, what would God do in any type of situation? Look at Jesus. He was the visible image of the invisible God. The perfect representation of the Father in human form. Firstborn of all creation, meaning he's the absolute heir and sovereign Lord over all creation. He takes precedence over all things. It does not mean he was the first creation of God, like some cults like to teach. Jesus was the first creation of God. If Jesus was created by God, then that means Jesus is lesser than the Father, not equal. Now we have a disruption in the Godhead. Again, the gospel is compromised. Verse 16, For by him, all things were created, both in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones, dominions, rulers, or authorities. What does it mean by all things? If Jesus was created by God, it would make him a thing. This verse says that Jesus was before all things. Jesus cannot be a created being, and there's a lot of third century, um, fourth century. There's a guy named by, um, Arius, the Arian heresy, that Jesus was the first creation of God in eternity past. And you guys have heard of the Council of Nicaea. The Council of Nicaea was in 325 A.D. 318 bishops got together, in Constantine's summer home in Nicaea, and discussed this. This discussed this issue. They took a vote on it. Was Jesus created by God? 316 yes, I'm mean, three 316 no to 2 yes. So the vote came out 316 to 2, if I can remember correctly. 316 people saying he's eternal. Two people saying he wasn't. Now we don't go by councils, we go by what the word of God says. But if we look back at church history, we can see that what we're, we're going to take a look at today, this is still going on today, Gnostic cults or um, New Age type thinking has always been around and always has stumbled the Christian church. The church has not been immune from this, but it has dealt with this in the past. So the Council of Nicaea was to get together to decide if Jesus was co-eternal with the Father, and yes, he is. So Arianism, saying that Jesus was a created being by God, was refuted at the Council of Nicaea in 325 A.D. But yet we still have people going door to door today, knocking on your door, telling you that Jesus is a created being. He's a God, he's divine, but he's lesser than the Father. And again, if you hear that, what's happening is the gospel is being compromised because God's very blood had to be shed on the cross in order for us to be redeemed. We compromise the gospel at that point. Look at in verse 16. We see thrones, dominions, rulers, and authorities. Now we're looking at the supernatural powers behind the scene. They denote supernatural creatures, Conceived as angels in various ranks in Old Testament theology. So yes, Jesus created all things, but if we read in Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28, Satan rebelling against God in heaven, according to Revelation chapter 12, a third of the angels fell with him. These fallen angels now become part of the spiritual forces of darkness that Paul is referring to here in verse 16. The Jews understood this, but they corrupted it through their um, Gnostic literature, also known as, if you guys have ever heard of, the Kabbalah. The Kabbalah is um, Jewish mysticism, Jewish occultism. So Jesus, what Paul is saying here, is superior to all of these false spirits and all of these false doctrines that they're hearing from the supernatural realm, the fallen supernatural realm. Jesus is superior to them. Uh, Looking in Colossians chapter 2, go to chapter 2. Look at verse 15. Paul says, speaking of Jesus, when he had disarmed the rulers and the authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through the cross. So, what Paul is saying here in chapter 2, verse 15, is these spirits that are worshiped in these mystic cults, Jesus conquered them on the cross. They have been defeated. Satan has been defeated. The demonic realm has been defeated. Christianity has the upper hand. That's why it's interesting if you read in uh, Matthew 16, 18, um, the gates of hell shall not prevail against you. Meaning the authority of Christ, the blood of Christ, Christ's accomplishment on the cross, superior to anything that any um, New Age movement, Hinduism, any false religion can bring. The cross is superior. It's what he's saying here. Go to verse 17 then in chapter 1 again. Interesting verse, chapter 1, verse 17. He is before all things... Referring to Jesus. So that means he can't be a thing if he's created all things. And in him, all things hold together. Very interesting verse. Yesterday, I um, happened to, I don't want to say the word stumble, but come across a Gnostic, somebody who's been pra- practicing Gnosticism for 25 years. And um, very interesting ta- discussion. Um, talked to him for about a half an hour. One of the things he's telling me is I am a being, I am a consciousness, and my body is made up of millions of cells, if not billions of cells. They all have their center of consciousness. And with those cells are trillions of bacteria. Each one of them has their own center of consciousness. All these centers of consciousness work together and hold the universe together and sustain it. That's what he told me. That's the Gnostic belief. So then I look at verse 17, and I see what? Jesus being before all things and Jesus holding all things together. You see how they take Christ and just, you know, put him over here. He was a good teacher, spiritual. He's not the supreme God. He's just an enlightened individual that we all have the potential of being like. Nature itself, consciousness itself, holds life together. That's the Gnostic teaching. Pretty interesting. Verse 18. Jesus is also a head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will have come first place in everything. So Jesus is supreme, the heart of Christology. The biblical Jesus, then, as we can conclude, is eternal, the creator of all that there is, holds the entire universe together. He's the head of the church, and he's the reconciler of all things through his blood. Each one of these facts that I just stated are supreme. They have to be believed. They have to be understood. If we compromise at any one of these positions, we've compromised the gospel. Now, the number one thing that we see in cults today is the deity of Christ was Jesus actually God, the second person, equal to the Father. A common characteristic of all cults is to attack the deity of Christ. This is the most fundamental thing that they all do. Go to chapter 2, verse 9. Question for you. Is Jesus God the second person? Is there a Bible verse that we can go to that when somebody questions the deity of Christ, boom, we have the answer. Look at chapter 2, verse 9. And I'm reading from the New American Standard. It might read a little different than yours. But what it says here is... For in him, referring to Christ, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. Now, if we understand Gnosticism, understand that matter and material is evil, what Paul is saying here is deity indwelt humanity. That's heretical to the Gnostic. They will not hear that. But that's exactly what Paul is saying. Jesus is 100% man and 100% God. The fullness of the Godhead is in Christ. This is the eternal fact that is always true. Now, it's interesting. The word for deity is theatetes. It occurs nowhere else in the Bible but here. It does not mean divinity. Divinity is an attribute of God. Deity is the essence of God. You understand the difference. An attribute of God is something that God does. Deity is something who he is. So there's a difference there. A lot of cults like to say, yes, Jesus was divine. We agree. It's not what we're saying. He's not divine. Yes, he has divine attributes, but he is deity. He is God, the second person. His very essence, his very nature is God. And that's what Paul is hammering out here. In human form. The Gnostics, it was heretical to them. It's not enough to say that Jesus is divine. Because what people can say is that in any sense, Humans are divine because we have godlike attributes. We can love, we can think, we can choose. So humanity is divine. So you can make that argument, and it's a strange argument, but the thing of it is, is we're not deity. Jesus is, and there's the difference between Gnosticism and Biblical Christianity. Only he possesses both natures perfectly. Jesus was, is, and always will be deity. He alone possesses the unique nature of God, and in him is the fullness of God. Of essence. Now, interesting here too. Notice, see that word dwells. In the Greek, that word dwells. So, for in him, the fullness of deity dwells. In the Greek, it's in the present tense, which means it's continuous. Continuous aspect, meaning he still is the God-man in heaven right now in his glorified form, glorified body. And he always will be the God-man throughout eternity. So, taking on the human nature, now in his glorified state, Jesus will always be the God-man. He took on that human nature at the Incarnation in Bethlehem, and he will hold to it for all eternity. That's biblical Christology, not to get mixed up with occultism. So now, let's fast forward to today. This Gnostic cult that we're reading about in the Bible. Is it around us today? And you can see I have these, these books down here. Um I'm not promoting these by any means, but what I'm going to show you is this is Eckhart Tolle's book, very, very popular book, over 3,000 reviews on Amazon. So you can see here it's got a little sticker saying uh, Oprah's Book Club. So this was um, advertised on Oprah's show when she had it about 10 years ago. She had this guy on her show. Oprah was promoting the New Age movement. And this let me read to you today what we're dealing with in Gnosticism. See, during Paul's time, this is almost 1,800, this is 2,000 years ago, about Going back that far, it's still around today. Let me read what this says. Jesus speaks of the innermost I am. Now, remember the I am statements in John? um, John 8, 58, before Abraham was I am, Jesus was affirming his deity. Watch how they twist this. Jesus speaks of the innermost I am. The essence identity of every man and woman, every life form. He speaks of the life that you are. Some Christian mystics have called it the Christ within. So what he's saying is all men are divine. All men have the Jesus consciousness in their center. They just haven't realized it yet. And through occult practices and through secret knowledge, what you can obtain is deity yourself, divinity yourself. That's the heart and the source and the core of the New Age movement in here. Next book, this is an interesting one too. It's by Gary Renard. It's The Disappearance of the Universe. I just want to read to you some other things that have been going on. Here's what they say God did not create duality, meaning, now here we go again, body and spirit. See, they are just all about the spirit, not the matter. God did not create duality and he did not create the world. If he did, he would be the author of A Tale Told by an Idiot. Very heretical, very blasphemous teachings that we got going on today in our society. Got another one here, very popular book. A Course in Miracles. I don't know if you guys have ever seen this. Oprah also was big on this. And if you open it up, I'll just read it real quick to you what it says. Remember Gnostic teachings now. It says, Herein God is attacked. For if his son is only a body, so must he be as well. A creator wholly unlike his creation is unconceivable. So what are they saying? If Jesus had a body, he couldn't be divine. Because anything material is evil. And in all of the New Age literature, all of Hindu literature, anything you read today, is going to have the same core philosophy, the same core foundation that Paul was dealing with in the book, in the letter to the Colossians. Why Eastern mysticism? Why is this so popular? The very core of who you are is divine. You are God, needing liberation from the illusion of matter that you have de-evolved into. So what? The New Age teaches is your God. What does the Bible teach about human nature? The exact opposite. The heart of man is deceitfully wicked above all things. It's incurably wicked. Who can know it? Who wants to hear that? Right? (laughs) That's not positive. That doesn't make me happy. That doesn't help my self esteem. That's negative. Let's let's deal away with those negative Christians. Let's teach something that's eclectic. Let's teach something that absorbs all faiths. Let's teach something that makes me feel good, that tells me that I'm God. And there's pretty much the core reason why you have the differences between the two. Remember, truth is what corresponds to reality. It corresponds to what is. I want to know what is. I don't want to be told something that's not true. When you go to buy a, a car at a used lot, You want the speedometer to read exactly how many miles on it or on it. You want that Carfax report to tell you if it's ever been in an accident. You want to know every single detail about that car because you don't want to drive off the lot and have the tires fall off and then go back and say, sorry, nothing I can do for you, right? We don't want that. We don't apply that method to buying a car. We don't apply that method to buying a house. We don't apply that method to selecting a college we go to, but we'll do it for religion. We'll just check our minds at the door. We'll walk in, and whatever is emotionally good to me, that's what I'm going to pick. That's the culture we're in today, this pluralistic culture of what's right for you is fine, what's right for me is fine. Even though they contradict, they're both true. This is the culture we're in today, and it's going to be an uphill battle, preaching, witnessing, discussing this to other individuals, but this is the culture that we're in right now. So now, shifting gears then. Let's get into our faith a little bit now. I've been to studying this pretty hard. The results of a transformed life by the Holy Spirit. Look at chapter 3, verse 1. Paul's saying, Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking these things from above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. So what we're seeing here now is rather than be focusing on self, on me, on my problems, and my divinity, we are to be focused upon Christ and focused upon the Father, and our minds are to be heavenly-minded, focused on eternity. So our minds are constantly to be absorbed in scripture, in prayer, and on the word, and on the Lord. Off of self, onto God, rather than off of God and onto ourselves. Notice, the number one theme of all of Scripture, and the, number, the main purpose of our existence is to glorify God. And this is the number one thing that Gnosticism or the occult takes away. Don't worship God. That's stupid. You're God. Worship yourself. See, the focus is off God and onto ourselves. That's probably the most blasphemous thing an individual can do is take worship away from God, what we were created for, and to put it on ourselves. Look at verse 2. Set your minds on the things above And not of the things of the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. You have died, meaning the old nature, the old self, the old heart, the old man has been put to death. The new nature has been given through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. This is why a person needs to be born again. Because our hearts are incurably wicked. We need a new heart. Ezekiel 36, 26-27. The heart of stone taken out. The heart of flesh put in, as that heart of flesh is being pulled, it put in. The Holy Spirit can conform us to the image of Christ. We turn around and we glorify God for from this aspect, completely opposite to what we're seeing here in Gnosticism and in the New Age. Verse four: When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with Him in glory. So a person does not receive deification or a person does not enter into what the occult calls nirvana through self-improvement through secret knowledge through transcendental meditation or through yoga or through occult practices but through resurrection a bodily resurrection jesus was resurrected bodily into his glorified body we will be resurrected into our glorified bodies This is the hope of the Christian gospel. This is where salvation lies, in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Verse 5, Therefore consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, greed, which amounts to idolatry. So, the New Age in Hinduism teaches to rid yourself of this material body. The Bible teaches to rid yourself of sin and to be conformed in the character and the nature of God. What is sin? Sin is any action that's, any action or anything that's um, contrary to the characteristic of God. So we're pulling away from our sinful nature and we're being conformed to the image of Christ, completely opposite of what the cult teaches. Verse 6, For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. And in them you also once walked when you were living in them, but now you also... Put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices, and have put on the new self, who is being renewed, notice, to a true knowledge. Not a secret knowledge, to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. So if we're being conformed to the image of Christ, our fundamental understanding of Christ has to be spot on. Because again, if he's anything less than 100% human, redemption's lost. If he's anything less than 100% God, redemption is lost. He is the perfect God-man that has to be kept in focus. Go down to verse 15. This is what the Christian believer gets that the world is not. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. If we were to take a survey of a thousand people and ask them a yes or no question, do you want peace in your life? How many would say no? Probably none, right? All of humanity is seeking peace, right? Where do we find true peace? Jesus says in John 14:27, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. So if an individual wants true peace, if an individual wants true contentness in this life and to be at peace with the Creator, it's only through Jesus Christ. Not anything the world can sell you or send down your path. This is interesting, the world. I always think of the world, my mind always goes to Hollywood. Hollywood is the poster child, the epitome of what the world system is like. And who would be involved in these Gnostic, occultic, mystic-type faiths, religions? Um, Madonna, she's involved in the Kabbalah, that's Jewish mysticism. Um, uh, Tom Cruise and John Travolta, Scientology, same type of religion, same type of Gnosticism, secret knowledge. Um, I know Beyonce and there's several other ones, name off the top of my head, who are involved in the occult. Hollywood, we can understand now why Hollywood isn't at so, so much animosity with the Christian faith because we can go back to the source of their doctrine coming from these false spirits, as opposed to the gospel and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So in verse 16, let's finish up with verse 16 here. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So our spiritual peace, our spiritual strength, our supernatural power Comes from the resurrected Savior, the God man, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you that you've given us um, your word that addresses every issue that we need to know in life. And Lord, that it corresponds to everything that is real, that it is true in every single word and every single detail. And Lord, we thank you this morning that we can get together, go through the book of Colossians, see what you had in Paul through the Holy Spirit. Lord, let us apply what we've seen to develop this um, sense of discernment, to be able to discern what is of you and what is not. Not everybody who's quoting scripture, Lord, is quoting it accurately. Not everybody who's teaching you, Jesus, is teaching you accurately. We pray for that supernatural understanding to dive into the word and to get the fundamental aspects of who you are down to an absolute T so we can be perfectly conformed into your image we can be perfectly conformed into your will to follow any type of vain philosophy or false deceit, but to be truly grounded in biblical truth. So we thank you this morning. We want to lift our requests up to you. We make them known to you, and we want to pray again for our Lord, our pastor, Landon, as he's on sabbatical. Just Lord, just, um, you see what needs to be done. Lord, just give him peace. We thank you for these things, Lord. We ask this in your son's name. Amen.